I got barbecue in my stomach and a cold beer sitting next to me. I'm ready to do this. That sounds like the proper way to nerd it up. Let's do it. Hello and welcome back to Four Color Nerds Comics Podcast, Episode 76, Return Mighty Beards Edition. It should be Return of. We've had so many Mighty Beards Editions, it's like we're running out of names. <laughs> I'm just doing the Star Wars trilogy. The Beards Strike Back. I'm Rory and I'm joined by one other nerd, Ryan. Hello. Together we take on this week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss this is a review show, so there will be spoilers. Sorry to tell you. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now and go back and read your week's books, then come on back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Secret Empire number three. Our companion song is Protect Your Neck by Wu-Tang Clan, because, well, there was a reference to Wu-Tang Clan in the comics, so that kind of got me started. And then there's references to Spider-Man and all kinds of other stuff in the song so take a listen I smoke all the like like smoking Joe Fraser the Hellraiser raising hell with the flavor terrorize the jam like troops in Pakistan swinging through your town like your neighborhood Spider-Man so all tick-tock and keep ticking while well, I get you flipping off the shit that I'm kicking the Lone Ranger co-wet danger deep in the dark with the art to rip the charts apart the vandal too hot to handle your battle you saying goodbye like to be careful what neck inspector decks on the set the rebel I make more this one fits surprisingly well. I was like, I gotta go. And then I jumped through a couple of Wu-Tang songs and I was like, oh, that's perfect right there. That's one of their old school ones too. So one of the favorites. Surprising amount of comic book references in Wu-Tang Clan. Well, they are nerds, so <laughs> <laughs> they may not come out and say it, but I mean, their whole shtick is based off of Kung Fu movies and shit. So, <laughs> All right. So I chose Secret Empire number three, Marvel Comics, written by Nick Spencer, art by Andrea Sorrentino and Rob Rice. So with this one, we start off with Old Man Cap, as we're liking to call him. <laughs> he is... Fuck, what's her name? The woman that he's rescuing? I don't know if they ever give her a name or not. I think she's just a woman he finds in the woods. Weird woman in the woods. He <laughs> is out in the woods. He's trying to get her out of the woods, and she's thirsty and stuff, asking him how he ended up. He's just saying he knows he needs to be somewhere. He needs to get home. He doesn't remember pretty much anything. He's got memories of Cap flashbacks where he's in the service, and that's a about it like a real brief thing yeah name rank serial number i'm not sure if that's supposed to be an indoctrination type thing or if he's they're suggesting his pow at one point or another but he's a little wimpy cap it's obviously before he was super soldier so so he's walking her to get a drink of water she was attacked and poisoned by the serpent society so she's dying yep totally dying and she does <laughs> but that's getting ahead of ourselves. Then we flash over to Peter Quill is trying to hit up the big bad monsters of the universe for help. This Chitauri invasion is going on and everybody's trapped outside, so they need all the firepower they can get to try and take down this shield. Yeah, so he's trying to get, what is it, the Brood, the Badoon, yeah. the Spartex, all the people who like to imagine themselves the masters of the universe. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you say Earth is in trouble and on its last leg? So they basically start blasting at him. <laughs> I don't know, that was a really funny scene for like such a serious subject. Peter's sitting there going, um, it didn't go so well. Calling back to Carol Danvers. <laughs> we find out a couple of things. We find out that obviously everybody's just wrecked from the Chitauri invasion. The attacks have gotten more and more frequent. First it was every couple of days, and now it's every couple of hours. People are injured. They're running out of oxygen on the station. Quasar is unconscious. It's just like everything's going to shit. 
Galactus ain't returning their phone calls because he's done with the dates. <laughs> things aren't going well on the space side of the shields. <laughs> well, things aren't going so hot on the Earth side either. No, that's for sure. Natasha is trying to meet up with Maria Hill, of all people, who's now become a terrorist or a freedom fighter, depending on how you look at it. They show a really grim scene where she bombed a building and it ended up killing a lot of innocent people, but also ended up killing four Hydra generals. So it kind of like shows how warfare goes and they kind of have a discussion about what's acceptable and what's not. And of course, Maria quickly turns the tables because, you know, Natasha's an assassin. <laughs> yeah, Natasha's hands are drenched in blood for sure. Exactly. I think the difference between her and Maria Hill, though, is Natasha regrets her past and knows that sometimes this is necessary. And I don't think Maria Hill regrets anything. No, not at all. I think that's something that's an interesting thing that they brought up there. Because, I mean, I think a lot of people, when it comes down to downright warfare, I mean, let's face it, regardless of which side you are on a conflict, the soldiers of battle tend to be convicted in what they're doing is correct. And it's hard. I like the moral implication here. Maria's bringing up that it's like, you got to do what you got to do in war. And Natasha has her regrets about the things that she's done. It's a good parallel for everything that's going on in the world nowadays, I think. I think it shows that these kind of struggles, the lines are never as clear as you want. And there are innocent people who are going to get caught in this conflict. Exactly. War loves to take its bystanders, and this is no different. Yeah, there's no such thing as a clean war, that's for sure. She's meeting her to get, it's a dossier, and it's basically Cap's social calendar, and she's like, what? That's it? And she's like, hey, you know, it's not that easy to get information when the people that you're getting them from know that they're facing a firing squad. A lot of her people are in prison, things are going real bad down on Earth on all sides. You also have a training scene where Spider-Man and Viv and Ironheart and Cho and Falcon, there's this chick that got a bomb in her heart and they're all trying to, oh, and Wasp, of course, they're all trying to figure out how to take her out. What happens is that Wasp goes flying into her mouth, which I thought was kind of like, a, ooh, that's not something I'd want to do. But she's like shrinking herself down to like the molecular level, trying to disarm these bombs that are around her heart. And then boom, everything explodes and it turns out they're in a danger room type thing. Natasha's jumping their shit for having failed this mission. They compare it to the Kobayashi Maru yeah. challenge that's unwinnable and Natasha tells them that it wasn't an unwinnable situation. They just didn't consider all of their options. Yeah. And then they start saying, oh no, we tried everything. And she's like, no, there's one thing you didn't try. And that's when Spider-Man tells them what it is they didn't consider, which is stopping her heart to stop the bomb. The champions, that's the thing. They're a young super team and they still have their youthful idealism. And she's saying in order to do what what they're going to be doing. They're going into war now and they need to drop all the childishness and harden up. I think this issue really is showing you that this isn't a superhero battle, that this is a war. Yeah, specifically guerrilla warfare, you know, yeah. which is messy. So then we also find out that Sam Wilson is off. He's been smuggling people across the border out of the United States to try and get as many innocent people out of the United States as possible. This is another scene that was interesting because he's talking about how he's like, I did my time as Captain America and I'm trying to, I try to change everything, but now I'm done doing that because a lot of people don't want to change. And he's talking about how, like how many people just kind of let Hydra roll in and they're just fine with it. Right. Because for 
most people, it doesn't affect them. It's the marginalized, it's the inhumans, it's the mutants, it's the former superheroes. Those are the people that Hydra is making life difficult. And it's real easy when you're not the one being rounded up. You see this time and time again in history. When you're not the yes. one personally suffering, it's a lot easier to just turn the other way. And that's what's happening. Yeah, turn a blind eye to everything. They kind of accuse him of sitting out the war, and then he starts listing all the numbers of people that he's saved. By not directly fighting Hydra, he's saving hundreds of people and getting them to safety. He actually threw out a number, and I think it was 647. That's how many people that he's managed to get across the border and safe. Then on to the Hydra Youth Annual Science Fair at the mall. <laughs> <laughs> Captain America is visiting these kids doing a science fair and it's at the mall in Washington, D.C. And so he's got Sharon with, and there's like this kid that has, I've got an inhuman detector, sir. It's solar powered. So just in case you happen to run into one when you're out camping. We've got green fascism. He's talking with her and talking about how she needs to get out and see something. And she's obviously like miserable. And I think that's the interesting thing is that you still see that Cap is not happy in this thing. You think that given that this is what he's been working for his entire life in this new re-edited life, that he would be all jazzed about it. But you can tell that he's really not into what's going on. He's just kind of the spearhead of it, and it's already rolling. I think he likes to eat the omelet that he ends up with, but he doesn't like breaking all the eggs. Exactly. And also the people that he cares most about are against him. And I think yes. he probably thought that once he showed them, in quotes, the truth of Hydra and their vision for the world, that everybody would get on board. And that's not happening. No, not at all. They call him into the situation room and they, they think they have the location of one of the fragments of the cosmic cube. And it's in Atlantis in like this holy temple. And he's like, let's hope this goes better than Zola's foray into Wakanda last week. And you see this picture of Black Panther just whooping Hydra ass. Yeah. I love that. That was great. This Hydra operation goes on. There's this big, huge temple. It's the most holy temple for the Atlanteans. And Hydra attacks all these priests and they bring Scarlet Witch with them and they find out this fragment was actually a fake. And so Namor is smart enough that he's uh, figured out that they were going to come for this thing and hit it and replaced it with a fake. And so this was an, a really gritty scene also where Cap orders the destruction of this temple to let him know that if you're going to mess around with us, well, then we're going to leave nowhere for you to hide these things. And as much as Namor is kind of a dick in the Marvel Universe, he and Captain America did fight Hydra and the Nazis in the World War II comics. That is a tie that they have to each other. So not only is he executing Rick Jones, who's one of his allies, he's going after Namor, who he stood with in battle before. So it's all getting messy and bloody. Definitely. So he blows up this temple and and even though everybody tells him, you know, that's a declaration of war. And he's like, fuck it. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, it's inevitable. We should start this war on our terms rather than their terms. Yes, indeed. We flash back to Falcon leading everybody. It turns out that they're like going to Brazil. And so he's smuggling them across the border and stuff. He tells them, you know, we're going to do it my way. They say that it's in Brazil because they think they might be being listened to. I don't think it's actually in Brazil. Oh, I didn't catch They're that. like, Brazil? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they're like, hold on. Let's not talk about it until we get over the border. So I think they're trying to throw the trail off because there's that scene where you see who actually has what I believe is the one of the fragments of the Cosmic Cube, which is Hank Pym, who looks fucking Dr. Doom twisted and evil as shit in here. 
evil. So Hank Pym has never been the most stable of people. So we'll see what he does with this fragment of the Cosmic Cube. Yeah, scary. It's kind of interesting seeing who's falling on which sides of the fence here. And for that matter, where everything's going to keep on twisting because they didn't really explain exactly where he's at, you know? Right. Like, I know the Vision got reprogrammed in the free comic book day one. I don't know why Wanda is helping them. I don't know what the deal is with that part. And I also don't know what Deadpool, why he's involved in this on Cap's side. But it's interesting how the lines are breaking down. Definitely. Then, of course, we go back. <laughs> Old man Cap brings the woman to the water and she's talking about how she knows she's going to die at this point and he's like trying to keep her going and she tells him no matter what happens what they throw at you you're going to overcome it and she's like I wish I could see it where your goodness will go I know you'll make it home he drops the line and if we knew what hope was again we also knew what its absence felt like we felt the fear that comes with the chance of losing something cherished we realized how keen they would be to strip it from us and that and they saw we believed again even in a possibility of better tomorrow they would answer today and an answer in full measure I, I just found that line interesting and cool like seeing how the side is fighting each side is fighting essentially that like Hydra's trying to strip hope from everybody and like this is what Steve's all about is bringing hope back or old man Steve I guess <laughs> well that's the most powerful weapon that a resistance has is hope that things will change and Hydra is is determined to strip away all of those possibilities from them. Absolutely. And okay, so who is this guy? They were talking about him having a boomerang on his head. I don't know who that is. Because it's not fucking Captain Boomerang, because that's DC. And I don't think Deadshot has... Or not Deadshot. What's his name? Deadpool. Not Deadpool. Fuck, I can't think of his name. The fucking <laughs> dude with the bullseye. Bullseye. <laughs> the dude with the bullseye. Name Bullseye. It's not him. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know who it is either. He's been paid off. He's got all this money and he's running a crime scheme in Newark with every, all the big crime heads being trapped in New York in the uh, Dark Force bubble. Gets up, he kisses his money. Oh, I love you. Which... <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Then he like walks into his bathroom and there's a claymore taped to his window and he gets blasted out of his window and the shadowy figure walks up and puts his boot on his head. He's like, I'm here for your knowledge. And the guy's like trying to buy him off and stuff. He's like, you arranged a meeting between two women and I want to hear what they said. And he's like, I could be God right red hand. I could be a swift and terrible vengeance. I could be your punishment. And then it's fucking Punisher with the Punisher logo with like Hydra tentacles. Hail Hydra. Holy shit. Shit. All in red. It's pretty fucking epic, too. And those images where you just see his boot on the person's head, that's a really good imagery for fascism. Very true. This, to me, was actually what sold me on this being the pick of the week, is that now Punisher is pro-Hydra, and I'm kind of curious as to why. Well, maybe Hydra is offering to make the world what he wants it to be, to restore order so that criminals don't run the world anymore. That's kind of what I'm thinking. That's the best motivation that I could see for Punisher. To, to, to align with Hydra. And in the first Civil War, the Punisher almost always sides with Captain America. He's a soldier. You know, they're both soldiers. Uh, makes sense from that standpoint. So yeah, that's what won it for me right there is that last image was just so strong and so holy shit, like, because that was not who I was expecting. It's also kind of a parallel to the Captain America number one, where you get the Hail Hydra from Captain America, because they do it the exact same way for the Punisher. Yep, exactly. So this issue 
issue was just super strong. There's a lot of stuff going on. Once again, though, not too busy, just the right amount of story and busyness in there. The artwork is amazing. The way they frame their shots is great. The storyline's great. And then this big holy shit moment at the very end. I mean, I can't really think of anything else that I could really ask for in a comic. So I'm loving this shit. <laughs> You're right. I mean, the story gives you all the beats you need. It gives you enough time with each segment that you're dealing with to be complete. My complaint about it is that I don't really feel like this issue moved things forward that much. In a 10-issue series, which you're going to get here, you're going to have a little bit of filler. I feel like this is like a setup filler issue. You know, I don't feel that anything really significant happened. We get a lot of details and expansion of things that are happening. I think there's going to be more plot-heavy stuff to come here. The art is really good in here. Like you're saying, the way that they frame the shots, and then you have these different art styles. They do this real painterly, dreamy part for Captain America that really separates it from the harsh reality that's going on here, and the way that they frame the Punisher in red like that is really good. Yeah, covering rain and just looking bad as fuck. <laughs> and when they're fighting in the temple in Atlantis, the way the doorways for the temple and all the arches and things like that frame the shots that you're seeing, it's very well done. It keeps things visually mm -hmm. interesting. I'm going to give it five. I could be your punishment, Hail Hydra. I will give it three and a half God's right hand. Ooh, wow. Quite a bit of difference there. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like I said, it was all right, but it's some filler. Not my favorite Secret Empire issue, but still pretty darn good. All right. Well, we got more Secret Empire coming. More Secret Empire. So this is Secret Empire Uprising number one from Marvel Comics, written by Derek Landry, pencils and inks by Joshua Cassara, colors by Rachel Rosenberg. So this is more of an exploration of a part of Secret Empire that I find really interesting, which is the Red Room with the Champions. So this is more of Natasha training them in what needs to happen in sort of a Glee meets <laughs> Secret Empire is what this is. So the Champions have a unique opportunity here and that they can infiltrate the Hydra youth because they're, you know, they're teenagers. And there happens to be a Hydra choir that's going to be singing at the National Ball right in front of Captain America. So if they can get someone into the choir and close enough that they could strike at Captain America. And some of the champions aren't totally on board with this because they thought maybe they were going to be more like spies and now maybe Natasha wants them to be assassins. And she tells them, you need to be ready for whatever it is I tell you to do. I haven't decided yet what we're going to do but it is possible I could order you to start killing people. And then you get some cool stuff with the Wasp who talks about how she's been through the Red Room before and she's not a fan of it, which I really like the character of Wasp. I think she's great in this. She's also really great in her series. Through some bad scheduling mix-ups and issues, we weren't really able to explore the Wasp very much, but it's pretty good. And here I think you get to see what it is I like about the Wasp. So they have some singing auditions and the Wasp just kills it in her audition. Spider-Man has stage fright and can't sing in front of people. And then you get Cho, who, if you really think about it, has the exact personality you need for performance, right? So he's hamming it up using like a lamp as a microphone, kind of like... Oh, that was hilarious. How maybe in movies you'll see girls dancing around holding like a hairbrush, kind of that same imagery. And he's doing like an Elvis version yeah. <laughs> of God Bless America. It's pretty awesome. I cracked up so hard at that point. <laughs> I really like the art in here. I think the art is really, really good. I'm not really that familiar with 
with Joshua Kassara, but I like the way that he draws these characters. I totally agree. I think it looks pretty spectacular. The choir director is hilarious and <laughs> ridiculous with his little pencil mustache and over-the-top dramatic choir drama that's going on. He's a stage Nazi. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I guess every theater troupe has one, right? Yeah. So the Wasp and Cho are assigned to infiltrate the singing organization, and they pass like their first trials, and you find out that the freelancers, who are like the champion's archenemy, are the security for this event, which has them freaked out because they know who Cho is. So if they see him, his cover is going to be blown. So they now have a problem where they're behind enemy lines, and if they see Cho, the whole thing is blown, which, first of all, just a little pro tip here, Natasha. I don't really feel like I should be having to advise you on Spycraft here, but if you have a person with an unusual first name like Amadeus, don't make his cover yeah. identity also Amadeus different name. That's not a great <laughs> cover, right? I don't know how many so Korean true. teenagers are named Amadeus, but if they're on your most wanted list, maybe you should consider a different name. Yeah, like Steve. Yeah, Steve-el. <laughs> <laughs> Say call Captain America. <laughs> oh, that was great. So the other champions bring up this facial distortion holographic generator, but it'll only work for 30 seconds, which should be enough that if runs into the freelancers, he can turn it on. It'll provide him enough cover to get through to what he needs to do, is their plan. But the problem is he's in this secure Hydra base, and Black Widow forbids them from going there, and they ignore her because they're teammates. It's their job to support them, so they're going to go do that. And I actually really like their raid on the base. Yes. Because things, they don't exactly start going wrong, but the champions start getting whittled down one by one. Viv can knock out the security system, but she has to stay outside the building to do it, so she can't go any further. And then Ironheart, and they're all passing through, but Ironheart, her armor is too heavy. It, like, clangs everywhere, so she can't go any further along. And then Spider-Man and the Falcon, like Kid Falcon, I don't know what his actual code name is, but they're going along, and he just starts, like, attacking people <laughs> instead of trying to be stealthy. So <laughs> Spider-Man's like, fuck you guys, I can turn invisible i'm going on ahead and he goes and gives them the stuff but they're found out by the security that's there the super villain team that's there and Cho, I don't know why he did this. It seems like the wrong move to me. He starts screaming that Spider-Man and the Wasp are working together and kind of like outs her, but, you know, he's the hero that stood against them. And he becomes like a hero of Hydra and has to start playing along with them. Which, there's actually some really interesting scenes here where in order to do his mission, he can't be heroic. There are kids who are getting bullied in the hallway and he has to turn and walk away from them. And there's actually one of those supervillains comes up to the kids who are being bullies and is like, you should pick on somebody your own size. That was great. Which was interesting to see that they're not quite as villainous as you might think. They're not really villains so much as mercenaries. And so that they really don't like working for Hydra, but the money's good. I actually thought that was a really great scene where one of them says, you know, we're not villains, we're capitalist mercenaries, and we're working for fascists, and capitalism and fascism are not compatible. And the other ones, maybe who aren't as deep of thinkers, are like, whatever, the money's good. So they continue to do their job. But it's interesting to see, I think, that maybe some villains are going to turn against this fascist empire. So I actually really like this one. I thought the characterizations were really good. Art was good. It was a setting that you don't see very often in comic books, a high stakes talent competition <laughs> that was done pretty well. It's got comedy. It's got action and adventure. It has a neat little twist where they finally get all the kids and they're like, come with us, kids. We're here to rescue you. And the kids are like, go fuck yourself. We're with Hydra. Yeah. We hope you die, which was, you know, really surprising. And I think probably really hurtful to them when these kids that they 
they're trying to rescue start throwing bottles and bricks at them and things like that, that these kids have really bought into the Hydra thing. So I thought this one was pretty darn good. I was a little worried about going into a spinoff of a event book because sometimes those aren't very good, but I feel this yeah. one is definitely worth picking up. I totally agree. I had a good time with this one. Like you said, it's like the whole setup of this Glee competition, essentially, I thought was an interesting turn. It was very different, but still had some great heroics involved with like the whole sneaking in scene, and then the fight scene was great, I thought, once everything started going down. I feel like this issue does really good at escalating the stakes and giving you twists of what you expect to have happen. That every few pages, the stakes and terrain of what they're doing change. It's constantly evolving throughout the issue, which keeps it very interesting. I totally agree. This one is actually really close. I was kind of torn on which one I wanted to choose between this Secret Empire or the other Secret Empire because they were both just great, I thought. For sure. I will give this four I Hope You Die. I'm going to give it four kick faces. <laughs> oh, this is a heavy Marvel week. We're still in sort of a Secret Wars tie-in here. Oh, yeah. Doctor Strange, number 21, written by Dennis Hopeless, art by Nico Henrico. So on the other end of the battle, we have Doctor Strange in New York, which is now encompassed by this big glow of dark force. So he's battling all the little demons and shit that are running all over the city. And he's talking about how it's kind of like he's fucked because magic isn't quite the way it used to be. He doesn't have the eye of Agamotto anymore. It's like he doesn't have all of his typical magical implements. So it would probably like make it so that this would not be a big deal for him in any other situation. As he says, he's slumming it got like a fucking hatchet and a feather yeah <laughs> and some like garbage soup that he makes later yeah so he's going through and he's fighting these big crazy demonic things and so daredevil and spider woman what's happened is that the sanctum santorum is now like floated up in this globe and it's sticking into the chrysler building <laughs> halfway up the chrysler building they're basically going to go check it out and see what's going on they're going up there and They've brought... Ben Yurik, the reporter. So they brought him with them because he's got a master's degree in literature. So they're hoping that he could maybe like help figure out a way of breaking this Dark Force bubble. Trying to get Doctor Strange's library and neither Spider-Woman nor Daredevil are going to be very useful in translating these ancient mystic tombs. So They're pretty much in the territory of kicking ass. <laughs> so Daredevil spots like, the one spot. There's no like mystic field, which happens to be a window of all places. <laughs> That's a bad mystic security system. <laughs> Well, it's intentional. Yeah. So he breaks in and then it turns out that Baron Mordo is there and he captures Daredevil in this bubble. And apparently Daredevil has this magic sword. Yeah, he said he had it in like a lockbox for a few years. Everybody else's magic gets taken away, but Daredevil happens to have one stored up his ass somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Highlander style. Baron Mordo traps him in this little like force bubble. He summons this critter that's going to like eat him. And so Doctor Strange is down on the streets, and so he's actually figured out how to make this potion. I thought this was really cool, because take, like, modern implements and compare them to, like, magic magic and stuff like that. And he's talking about how there's magic in everything, essentially. You just have to know where to look. And so it's a meal shared by a young couple on their first night in their new home, and a lucky rabbit's foot that's gone through, like, three fatal car accidents, and the prized possession of a three-year-old child, and then uh, a lighter. 
for fire. Yeah, the God's gift of fire. It's interesting because he needs these mystical components and each one of these fulfills those requirements in kind of a real dirty street magic kind of way. Yeah, I thought that was really cool because it was like just a comparison to you're expecting all these like ancient magic implements. It's like through modern eyes. I mean, those essentially are in, in a strange sort of way. He casts this spell and then this big, huge blast comes off and blasts the critter. But then Yurik and Spider-Woman are like in the way. And so they like crash into the garbage can that he used to make his little witch's brew, which wrecks the spell and it kind of like stripped off the skin off of the critter which of course only pisses it off more <laughs> and then all of a sudden out of nowhere this car comes jumping off of a parking garage and hits it in the head and kills it and then out of that car steps out wilson fisk and he's like the sorcerer supreme now owes me a favor and wilson fisk always collects his debts so once again we've been getting some good end of story cliffhanger reveals yeah i really like this. At first, I was really worried about Doctor Strange because it wasn't going to be written by Jason Aaron anymore. But I feel like this one is a completely worthy successor. I think the art is Absolutely. really good. It's also not Chris Piccolo anymore for art, but I think the art is up to standards here. I liked Dennis Hopeless's writing anyway. Like, there's an exchange where Doctor Strange is complaining that his plan was interfered with them, that it failed. And he's saying that the plan was good, but they fucked it up. And then Spider-Woman has this cool line where she's like, you know, these 20-sided words don't change what happened dungeon master <laughs> that was great your plan still failed and i love that the kingpin is becoming a more complex figure here in this battle for new york i totally agree i also find it interesting with finding out the punisher is with hydra that now you've got kingpin working on the other side against hydra in a sense not directly but i can see something coming there Coming down the pipe. I didn't think about that dichotomy there that you have people you would expect to be on different sides that are going to be fighting each other and you're going to find yourself in a weird position rooting for the kingpin to defeat the Punisher. Exactly. <laughs> because having the lines in this war break down among completely expected lines, that's kind of boring and it robs you of opportunities to tell interesting stories. So I think they're doing some smart things there. This was, in my opinion, it was a great successor. Like you said, it's always worrisome when you have such a great series, great writing, great art, and then all of a sudden the team changes and you're like, oh man, is this going to go to shit? Especially because we've it's been safe to say we've all been enjoying Doctor Strange pretty well here. I was really excited about this one. This is definitely carrying the torch from Jason Aaron and Chris Piccolo and all that. And it's great. I'm pretty sure that if you took the names off of this book, I probably would not know that it wasn't Jason Aaron. I think the Chris Piccolo, I would know that it wasn't Chris Piccolo's art, but I wouldn't mind the change. I think the writing is up to snuff on this. I'm going to give this one four vile sugar waters. I will give this four and a half. Your plan failed, Dungeon Master. So, like I said, this is a pretty heavy Marvel week, so we're still over in Marvel. We've got Cable number one from Marvel Comics. Conquest, chapter one, written by James Robinson. Pencils by Carlos Pacheco. Inks by Rafael Fonterez and colors by James Abertov. So Cable has been around forever and there are people who like him mm -hmm. and there are people who don't. And I tend to fall in the I don't like him category. Yeah. But this issue was pretty fucking awesome though. I agree. <laughs> I was really not looking forward to this. I was like, oh, this is going to be like the dregs, like the horrible jobber D-lister school one that we read. <laughs> but I was really surprised. This was pretty awesome. You get Old West 
shootouts, you get samurai battles. It's pretty cool. It takes what I think is probably one of the cooler aspects of Cable, that he can time travel, and he's following this mystery throughout these different parts in time. And one thing that's kind of cool about it is the sequence that events are happening are not the sequence that they occur in time, if that makes sense. The person starts yeah. out in the Old West taking this gang of outlaws and giving them some laser guns to take over the town. And he finds this object and burns this like mystical rune into the desert mesa and teleports away back in time to the 1500s in feudal Japan, where he gives these ronin samurai army these flaming laser swords to burn this town down, get something else there, and then jump somewhere else. And throughout this, you have Cable kind of tracking down these clues, and the art in this is really interesting. The writing's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I was surprised that I didn't hate this. It's not my favorite X-Men book I've ever read by any stretch, (laughs) but I would read the next issue of this. No issues with that. The art's good. I think James Robinson is really good at giving you kind of personal stories of people who are kind of fucked up. I think they did the time travel really interesting. I'm pretty sure that that's Kang the Conqueror that he's going against, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm kind of interested to see what's going on here, which surprised the shit out of me because I was not expecting to like Cable. (laughs) I totally agree. You know, I always kind of wasn't really a big fan of Cable. Didn't necessarily hate him, but it's just one of those things where it's like, ah, yeah, this has got nothing for me, really. And so when I saw this, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, cable number one. Fuck, gotta do it. And then, yeah, when I read it, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I liked the fact that they were, rather than jumping, jumps backwards in time and jumps forward in time. It's like he's progressing backward in time to, to find his mystery. Yeah, I just think of Cable as like one of those 90s, just brings you back to the 90s comics. You cannot get more 90s. Like even the drawings of this, of him, he's got plenty of belt pouches going on. <laughs> Yes. He definitely shows his 90s roots, but the art here is very clean the way that they do it. Yeah, definitely. It's very solid. And I also like that they have this kind of epic story going on, but you get a kind of touching human moment when he's in the samurai back in Japan in the village that these ronin burned down. He finds like the one Mm -hmm. woman holding her baby in like a burning building. So you get to see some kind of personal stakes here, along with all the belt pouches and new jazz guns strapped to him. So... Pleasant surprise. Everyone's yep, while it happens. for sure. I will give this three and a half. Are you a demon? <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I was going to give it three and a half. No mother, I'm no demon. <laughs> That's so funny. We're on the same page here, quite literally. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not super enthused, but I'll definitely check out the next one with, without worrying. For sure. Speaking of surprises, we have Thanos number seven, Marvel Comics, written by Jeff Lemire. German Peralta did the art, and Rachel Rosenberg did the colors. You know, here's the thing is, I was really excited about this, especially because we've drifted away from Thanos for a few issues, and by far, this was my least favorite issue of, of the week. I agree with you. I usually like silent issues because they let you tell really intense personal stories in general when they happen. And here, I feel like the silence is almost like a cop-out. People who don't, I don't want to say don't get, but who don't get what a silent issue is think that there's no writing in a silent Mm -hmm. issue. Because it's essentially all stage directions that you're not seeing. But this one, I really feel like about half the comic book doesn't have any writing in it. There's not much going on here. They're not really telling much of a story. And it just is a commercial, in my opinion, for the next issue. Thanos is 
is roaming the ruins of Titan, and he's massively lost all of his power and stuff, so he's surviving, eating rats, and freaking, he's all beat up, and shivering. That was the funny one, was where he's sitting there, he's shivering, and his fire goes out when he falls asleep. He's like, no! You know, so you're seeing the weak side of Thanos, and then he basically gets rolled by these thugs, or scavengers, and he's like, you know who I am? I'm Thanos. And they're like, right. And then they start kicking the shit out of him and steal his helmet and stuff. And they're getting ready to kill him. And then his brother, was it Eros? It's the team we saw before. It's Nebula, Marvel, Danzig. (laughs) Marvel, Danzig. I forgot about that. I don't know what that guy's name is. And then one of the relatives of Thanos. Yeah, uh, Eros, Star Fox, same person. Eros is his real name. Star Fox is his goofy name. So he shows up and tells Thanos, hey, we're going to need you to help save the universe. Yeah, with Space Danzig and all that. And that's... That's the end of the issue. You know, honestly, like, I read through this and I was like, what was that, like, five pages? I was waiting to say there are five pages of story in yeah. there. You could do one, maybe two pages of him wandering around eating rats and being lost, but really I think one page panels is enough to give you that. Page or two of him getting his ass handed to him, and then the last two pages here where he gets revealed that he's going to go on some mission. That should be the opening to your book, yep. not the entire issue. It suffers from serious pacing problems. Yep. Totally agree. I think the art on this is fine. I mean, I don't want to bash the artist on this, but I think the writer did not do well with a silent issue. They talk about it. If you read the letter in the back, they're so fucking jazzed that they did a silent issue. (laughs) It's like, you guys did a real shitty silent issue. Oh, man. It was disappointing because I was actually pretty excited for this. I wanted to see what was going on with the Mad Titan. And this was just a really disappointing commercial issue. And it just didn't really do anything. Like, there's ways to do these things. And I, I understand what they were trying to do. I just don't think that they executed it very well. I agree. Let's rate this steaming pile of rat shit. I feel bad because I do like the art, but I just don't like the book as a whole. So sorry, I'm going to have to shit on this one. I'm going to give it one and a half steaming piles of rat shit. This is fucking bad. I would not recommend anybody buy this one. I can't disagree with your recommendation not to pick this one up. I think the art salvages it a little bit, but it's still not even an average book. I would give it two. I must say, you have seen better days, Thanos. <laughs> That's a good one. So finally breaking away from the Marvel Universe, we're going over to Saga number 43, written by Brian K. Vaughn, art by Fiona Staples, and of course by Image Comics. So one thing that's kind of cool about this issue is this is a 25 cent issue. So this is supposed to bring people into Saga, which obviously has been going on for, you know, 42 other issues. And like the name says, has a big range of characters and cast. But here, this is the start of a new arc, and you've kind of skipped ahead a little bit here and I feel like what this issue is supposed to do they succeed in perfectly yes. this tells you what Saga is the tone that you can expect from it and Fiona Stables draws a beautiful issue you know you're in Saga when the very first page is Welcome to Abortion Town That's <laughs> so true you're like what the fuck like every issue of Saga has kind of a moment where you have to do kind of a double take and they give it to you right on page one and even in the letters column they say thank you for continuing to read past page one so I think it's real good to front load what Saga is, which I think that page perfectly encapsulates. 
So they're on this Old West planet at Abortion Town, and Alana with Prince Robot is trying to get an abortion, which is kind of weird because in the previous arc, she had a miscarriage. And they'll go more into the reasons for that. But in Abortion Town, they won't do her procedure because she's eight months pregnant, and that's too far along for them to do it. And he's like, well, you didn't hear it from me. But if you ride over past the Mesa into the Badlands, there's a basically back alley town where they'll do these procedures for you. It's real dangerous, and I wouldn't recommend it, but if you're going to go, you're going to go. Coat hanger town. <laughs> Pretty much. There's actually an image that I really like where when Prince Robot is pissed at them and he's yelling at them, the image on his TV head screen is a lion that's roaring. Yeah. I thought that was really cool to show. I thought that was really cool. So it kind of not exactly flashes back in time, but you get kind of a recap of what's happened to them. And you find out that Alana, her baby is dead, but she's still carrying the baby. And in order to get it out, she has to have it surgically removed. Otherwise, it's going to poison her and she'll die. But they can't go to any of the more legitimate space hospitals because they're under the control of each of their warring races and they'll see the baby when they cut it out. Even if Marco doesn't go with her, they'll still see the baby and they'll know what's going on. So they can't go to that route. That's why they have to go to back alley coat hanger town that you're talking about. I mean, it's kind of an interesting little social commentary here about these people who are trapped in a horrible situation that they didn't want to have happen that came about because of an accident that's going to kill them if they don't solve that problem. So you can see Brian K. Vaughn, the point he's trying to make here without being too obvious about it. There's also some interesting parts that I think are really touching and insightful with Hazel, who's the little girl, and her friend, who's the transgender prisoner that they rescued that's with her and she asks these kind of like innocent childlike questions that will drop your jaw when she asks them so she's like can we talk about your penis (laughs) like no we cannot and then she explains that well her body's really weird too and she's worried that her body's going to continue to change and she's going to die because her body isn't the way it's supposed to be so the woman then finally has some kind of sympathy for her and they have kind of a little heart to heart and then it closes out with her asking about can we talk about nipples (laughs) (laughs) you get that kind of touching humor there as well saga is really good at giving you really interesting characters and writing that makes you think about what's happening and that's pretty much what you get in this issue and it ends with another moment where you know you're kind of in saga here so marco has been digging this trench to empty out all of the sewage from the rocket ship that they're on and when he does so into this trench the planet apparently reanimates the poop into the golem form of whoever pooped it out so you have this river of shit with these like shit demons crawling out of it that look like all the other characters Which, it's funny because when Hazel, the little girl, sees it, she says, oh, fucking. Yeah. And the two parents have these opposite reactions, which is kind of funny. The first one's like, young lady, that's not appropriate language. The other parent is like, and you're not using it right. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, if you're going to swear, just say it right. So then they have this shit battle where they're getting like sprayed with poop lasers and burning things. And it's a real interesting fight that I haven't really seen outside of maybe the Golgothan shit demon from Dogma. I think might be the closest example of this fight. It's pretty cool. And in the end, Alana... As the fight's getting really desperate and they're going after Hazel, she starts shooting flames out of her hand. She doesn't know what the fuck that is because that's not normal for her at all. 
And one of the things that you hear earlier, and I don't know if this is going to be related or not, is that they believe that the people who carry a stillborn child in them are holy vessels. So I don't know if this is true and that this is some new power of hers, if it's some latent ability, if it's, I don't know what it is, but I'm interested to find out. So I really liked this. I thought this as a 25 cent introduction, you cannot go wrong by buying this. No, not at all. Pay full price, fuck. <laughs> I agree. Even at your two ninety nine or three ninety nine, this would still be worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Saga's always been great. When I was reading through this, I was just like, man, this is a great jump in point. They really do it right. You can't really do it any better than this, in my opinion. Great story. Definitely sets the tone for what you will see at reading Saga. And it's just, yeah, always great. I think this succeeds on all levels. I think I will give it four and a half. Can we talk about nipples? I'm going to give it four and a half. I'm a fucking coffin. Yeah, this will give you a lot to think about, I think, which is what Saga is really good at. If you haven't read it before, this is the ideal place to jump right in. They made it real easy for you. They did it right, for sure. All right, let's wrap this bitch up. So those were the books we read this week. You can find all of our nerd shenanigans, including our other podcast, Cut the Cord, at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes, on Google Play Music. On Stitcher on SoundCloud and on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Be sure to come back next week for another episode because these beards are going to be here. Well, I'm thinking most people should be back from either surgeries or buying houses or all of the things that are keeping them from their nerd shenanigans. Yeah, black magic, sacrificing babies, all that stuff. Take some time. Got to schedule that stuff in. It's not easy being nerdy. <laughs> all right, so hopefully we'll have the other nerds back. Until then, keep reading, nerds.